Yeah, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning on Launceston's YFM. It's time now to uh, bring uh, Dr. Andrew Corbett to uh, our airwaves this morning. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good morning, Cameron. Great to be with you again yes. on this beautiful Wednesday morning. Wasn't that thunder awesome? It was, wasn't it? That was it awesome. It even woke me up. You'd normally, I sleep through it, actually. Yeah, i got to admit I woke up to it, but it was just fantastic. I thought, oh, beauty, we might get some rain which it teased us a bit. There wasn't really that much rain, but, mm. oh, wonderful. I haven't heard thunder in so long. It was, it was such a delight to hear it. Yes. Uh, today, Cameron, I want to talk about something which I think relates to everybody because what, what we're, we're going to be talking about is discovering how. And what, when I say discovering how, what I'm doing is talking about those those things that we we all try to do in life and and we try to do those things that you know like be be involved in marriage be involved in parenting um, business um, in our organization in our uh, sporting clubs whatever it is we're all trying to be here's this word successful and when we we talk about success obviously success means different things to different people mm. and whatever it means to you th- th- there is absolutely one thing for certain we we know that in life success is is not always the the, the exclusive domain of those who work hard i know plenty of people who work really really hard and they're not they're not enjoying the success they'd hoped to enjoy. They're not enjoying this, the success they were, they were looking for. And, Cameron, I've discovered people, much to their own horror, who thought that education would make them successful, mm. that if they could just get an education, they would become successful. And those people are just gutted. They're disappointed that it's not necessarily so. Now, that's not to say if you're educated, you can't be successful. I'm not saying that at all. But, uh, but Cameron, success obviously isn't just the exclusive domain of those who work hard or those who have the best education. Success belongs to those people who know something. And that's what I want to explore today. What is it that they know? Because, Cameron, people who succeed, and let, let's take some particular goals in life, Cameron. Yes. Uh, they could be you start a business up. And what, what's the goal of the business? Well, hopefully the goal of the business is to make money. Yeah. Uh, but yet, Cameron, you've probably met people who've gone into business and they've ended up losing money. Mm. They, they work long hours. They lose money. They become, you know, indebted. And, and they, they're actually financially worse off for having attempted to go into business. Yes. Well, I would have to say they weren't successful. And they and I think they would say that was not a success. Then of course there are people who enter into a marriage and and the hope is that they will uh, enter into marriage and enjoy marital bliss and experience happiness in their relationship with the the person they want to spend the rest of their life with only to discover that that is not the case. It is not bliss, it is not happy. And they're now having serious questions as to whether they can spend another day, let alone the rest of their life, with this person. I would have to say that kind of marriage is not a success. And I've met people like that as well, Cameron. 
Then, of course, there are parents. For, for a parent, success looks like happy, well-adjusted, compliant children, children who are respectful, courteous, polite, and yet their children aren't those things. And for those parents, they feel it. And for those parents, they would not describe themselves as successful. And we can look at organisations, sporting clubs, uh, volunteer organisations, and, and, and think, well, these organisations are trying to, you know, for a sporting club, a football club, trying to win the flag. And if they are losing every match, coming bottom of the ladder, year after year, by any assessment, Cameron, you would have to say they're not successful. Absolutely. I don't know whether you consider Essendon successful or not, Cameron. Yeah, but not in the last um, three or four years. Something went wrong. Yes. There. Okay, so, Cameron, there, there is something that I think people who are highly successful do because they know something. Now, whenever you see someone who's successful, those who really don't know, how did that happen? They, they, they look at it and go, well, it must have just been dumb luck. <laughs> all successful people get all the luck. Luck, yeah. <laughs> and what do they say about luck? They say you generally create your own. But how do you create it? How do you create your own quote-unquote luck? I'm not a big fan of the word luck, Cameron, as most people who know me will acknowledge. But I've got to think that people who are successful are doing something that is not just about luck. Mm. They're doing something. Mm. And my question is, what are they doing? What are they doing that enables them to succeed in their chosen field, whether it be marriage, parenting, business, sporting activities, their health? Take their health, for example. And I'm sure, Cameron... Uh, you can identify with this, and we've we've all met people like this who feel they have a weight problem, and they're saying, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really trying to lose weight, and then they meet someone who's dropped, as I, I met someone on um, Saturday night who's dropped 20 kilos in the last 10 months, and I, I looked at him, and I, I I just said, mate, you you look so much healthier, you look like you've lost a lot of weight, and he said, yeah, I've lost 20 kilos in the last 10 months. Now, what's the difference between the person who says, well, I'm trying to lose weight and actually puts weight on and the person who drops 20 kilos in 10 months? What's the difference? The difference has got to be they know something and therefore they're doing something different. And that's what I want to explore. That's why we're calling this discovering how. Because in life, There'll be plenty of people that tell you if you just get a clear vision for your life, you'll be successful. And Cameron and I have met so many people who are very focused. They know exactly the vision. They know exactly what they want to be, where they want to go. But they don't get there. So it's not just about having vision. And and over the years, those of us who are involved in any kind of leadership have heard and been told that vision... Is the, is, is the X factor in success. And I've got to say, man, it, it can't be. It just can't be. I, I know people who have tremendous vision, but they're not successful. So 
What is it? Well, some people say you, you need to identify your purpose. You need to have a clear purpose. It's called a mission statement. If you can identify the why of what you're doing, you know, so that you can, you can clearly state why we're doing what we're doing, uh, establish your mission statement, then you'll be successful. Well, I know plenty of people who've answered the why question. This is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm getting married. This is why I'm being a parent. This is why I'm going into business. This is why I'm on this sporting team. And yet, they're not successful. So what is it that, that the successful marriages, the successful parenting, successful businesses, successful organizations are doing that those who want success and don't get it aren't doing? That's what we're going to explore. So for those who are listening today and you would like to improve your chances of succeeding you might want to have a listen to this. Let's come back after this first music break, Cameron, and we're going to continue to explore discovering how. Sounds very positive this morning. Stay with us. You're on Launceston's Way FM with Dr. Andrew Corbett joining us this morning for the regular Wednesday morning discussion. It's 8.43, back after this. Or it's not going to happen, and there's not a lot I can do about it. I actually think that when we look at those people who are successful, they certainly don't live that way. That is not their story. They're, they're not going, well, you know, I just kept doing what I was doing or didn't make any particular, you know, adjustments or effort. It just kind of, the water just kind of found its level it, here. It clicked. With me being successful. Look, it just, it doesn't work that way. It, successful people seem to be quite intentional. They, they, they know something, and therefore they do something. And, and as a result, they, their success is not a matter of luck. It's not a matter of it just happened. And for some people, the, the, the whole idea of having a plan to succeed just sounds too clinical. It sounds too cold. It sounds too boring, Cameron. Mm. And, and yes. I think of the, the guy Warren Buffett. I don't know if you've ever heard of Warren Buffett. No. He, he was a, 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 a very boring man. Di- uh, sorry, not died. He's still alive. Uh, is now in retirement. And he's still, by his own admission, a very boring man. But when he was a younger boring man, he, he got an idea. And his idea was to look at the stock market and look at those companies that had assets that were far greater than the value, the total value of their shares. And he, he found one of those particular companies and he bought as many of these shares as he could. And they're basically giving the shares away because people thought this company was of no value. But then what he did was he sold off the assets and got his money back. And he held the company and thought, well, what can I do with this company? And he set up this company as an investment company. In other words, he would use this company to invest in other companies. And Warren Buffett set about to do so with a very simple plan. And his simple plan sounded something like this. I will look for companies that have assets that are, that are valued at more than their share price. I'll buy as many of those shares as I can. When the price, when the value of the shares doubles, I'll sell half of the shares I bought. In other words, 
he'd get his money back. So anything that the shares did after that was just sheer bonus. Well, sounds like a pretty simple plan, Cameron. Yes, and that's it, indeed. That, and, and, and Warren Buffett just did that for the rest of his life. Wow. He retired with $60 billion. That's a lot of money. Cameron, I don't know whether you would call someone who's earned $60 billion <laughs> a boring person. No. But Warren Buffett describes himself as a very boring person. He said what he, what he did was just very boring. Now, $60 billion. Cameron, that is, that is just... I know some people don't understand the difference between million and billion. <laughs> As I heard someone say recently, he wonders whether politicians understand the difference. <laughs> uh, but there is a huge difference, huge difference between million and billion. He, he retired with $60 billion. Now, I know a lot of people who actually would like to make a lot of money, and they don't make... They don't, they don't even make a million dollars, let alone $6,000 million. They, they, or $60,000 million, $6 billion. Uh, and yet he did. Now, he obviously knew something. And I, I've just told you his plan. It's a very simple plan. Simple doesn't always mean easy. doesn't always mean easy to implement. But that's what he did. But here's the point. He had... A plan. He had a plan. Now, for those of us who are familiar with the with the Bible, you would understand that in the middle of the Bible, there's a book called Proverbs, 31 chapters in Proverbs. And a large part of what Proverbs actually says, which is wisdom for life, is about the need and the benefit of planning, the need for and the benefit of planning. Now, I know that there are many people, including Christians, who tend to Christianize this concept that it's it's unspiritual or it's un it's it's just not right to plan anything. We just kinda ha- have to let the chips fall where they may, then I, I, I guess I've got a question. Then why would God put in the Bible an entire book that that espouses the, the virtues of planning and talks about the need to have wisdom to make plans and i think it, it, it the book of proverbs at least expects us to make plans yes. and this is what we notice about successful people there's not a person who attains and maintains success who does not do so without a plan so cameron here's the here's the big deal whether it's your marriage you need a plan whether it's your parenting you need a plan If it's your business that you want to be successful, you need a plan. Let me talk to my pastor colleagues. I know that there are many pastors listening this morning. Morning, Tim. Morning. (laughs) Oh, we could go on. We could could name them all by name. Yes. But my my colleagues, whom I I am so blessed to be a part of a a city where we have so many fine uh, pastors and... And I've got to tell you, I I see pastors who come into a church, they build strong, happy, healthy congregations that attract people, that welcome people, their congregations grow. I saw last night on, um, was it Inside Story or whatever on the ABC, 
that uh, Tim Costello took over a church in St Kilda of 12 people and within a year it was 100 people. Well, how did that just happen by accident? Did well, You have to think he, he had some kind of plan that he was that he was doing. And, and we see in this city that there are pastors who go in, um, think of Pete and Kaz Hewitt over at Free Life, came in and, you know, that thing's just gone gangbusters, Cameron. It, it has, it has. It's not by accident. These things don't just happen. There's, there's hard work, but it's not just random hard work. I think of the effort that's gone into Door of Hope. Door of Hope, you know, one of our flagship churches in the city, a large facility. Uh, they have the potential to, in their building capacity, where they are now at the Old Coates Patents facility, to, to have a congregation of 5,000 mm. people, Cameron. Mm. And I know some people go, oh, that will never happen. It can't happen in Tasmania. Well, I reckon it could. I reckon, you know, just, just watch that space. Door of Hope could end up being a, a church that makes history in this city. But I tell you, it, it, this is not going to happen without a plan. It's not going to happen by accident. Success just doesn't, quote-unquote, happen. It needs a plan. We could see the same thing on, on the sporting field. Why is it that that some people, like I think it was Mark Neal, who was coaching Melbourne Demons? Yep. How did he go last two or three years? He, no, not very No, well. not at all. And, and did he work hard at being a coach? I think he did, Absolutely. Yes. worked his butt off being yes. a coach. You're not allowed to say that on air, are we? But anyway, he, he oh, worked really right. hard. <laughs> did not get... If that's the, uh, the the worst thing you can say, we're all right, man. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I heard Clive Palmer <laughs> yeah. on, on the news last night, and my kids said, did he just say what I think he said? <laughs> yes, he just said what I think he thought he said. <laughs> so I guess we're pretty safe, aren't we, in comparison? Mm, indeed. Uh, <clears throat> but, but we know Paul Ruse has just taken on Melbourne Demons from Mark Neal. Cameron, give me a prediction. Give me a prediction. How many places up the ladder are the Melbourne Demons going to go now that Paul Ruse is the new head of the realm, head of the helm. Well, this year, I think possibly three or four. Yeah, I would agree. I yeah. absolutely agree. Yeah. Why? Why are they going to do better, uh, three or four places, at least three or four places better than they did with, with Mark Neal? Because the same thing happened with Paul Ruse when he coached Sydney. That's right. What happened? Uh, well, he became coach for the first time. He got the experience going. He he, and then because he, he's a legend as well, yep. he's a footy legend, and he basically got him up the scale and then won yep. the premiership. So Paul Ruse took over the Swans in Sydney. Yep, he had played under some pretty good coaches. Indeed. He had played against some pretty good coaches, and chances are, while he was playing, he wasn't just playing football. He was learning football. He was learning yeah. the craft of football. Yeah. Then he was given the opportunity to coach, and he's he's taken all this observational skill, and I'm going to make a point about this being a large component of the what we call the how, and Paul Ruse was able to implement that at Sydney, and he won at least one premiership, didn't he, up there with uh, the Swans? Yeah, he won at least one. one. Uh, yeah, the, the, no, two, two. Two? two he did win two. That's oh, hang on. Uh, yeah, it was two, yes. Yeah, two premierships, a uh, number of finals seasons for the Swans, who had languished and struggled, mm. and, and suddenly this guy comes in, well, suddenly, and, and within a season or two has turned this thing around. Well, you know, you just know the same thing's going to happen yeah. with Melbourne. So why is that? What's the difference between Mark Neal and Paul Roos? The answer is one of them knows what he's doing. 
Yes. One of them knows the answer to how we're going to do it. Yep. And that's and that's Paul Roos. So when we're talking about sporting achievements, it's not a matter of how hard you train. I mean, I, I've seen sporting clubs, football teams and the like, train and train and train and get out on the, the football field on a Saturday and, and get thumped. So yep. it's not a matter of how hard you work. It's not a matter of, of um, you know, having the quote-unquote luck or whatever, or, you know, if we just get the right people on the field, we'll be okay. No, there's actually there's actually a much bigger question that's got to be answered here. Uh, apart from what are we trying to do, why are we trying to do it, we've got to be able to answer the yes, but how are we going to do it? And Cameron, that's what I want to explore as we come back after the 9 o'clock news this morning. We're going to actually unpack yes, but, how, YBH. Cameron, let's come back after the news as we explore the how question, discovering how. Good stuff. Good conversation this morning. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, don't go away. Time out for the latest UCB news. It's nine o'clock. And we're talking today about discovering how. Oh, look at all those kangaroos. You just missed a whole heap of kangaroos uh, um, bounding uh, past the... Uh, they're, it's very, they're very, they like wife in, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of our... Wilma. Wilma so I Wallaby. I think she's still around somewhere. Wilma Wallaby. Yes. Cameron, we're actually looking out the window right now where in hopefully a few months we're going to have all our solar panels. Indeed, yes. And if we can just let everyone know, our, our uh, listeners and supporters, last Saturday we launched our Future Fund Appeal. Um, I wrote to most people who have been supporters of YFM. If you didn't get a letter, just give us a drop us an email at wayinfo at yfm.org.au and just say, hey, look, I would like to be kept in the loop. Uh, we'd be happy to do that. You can also keep in the loop a bit if you go to our Facebook page and like our Facebook page. We have now, I think, just over 200 people who are a part of our Facebook page. And that's wonderful. You can also keep up to date on our Twitter page. Boy, Cameron, so many ways to keep up to date with what we're doing. I know. We actually have about 3,000 people connected to our Twitter page. So Twitter is, for us, a a pretty big deal as well as a station. But on Saturday, we launched our Future Fund appeal. Part of what we want to do is convert the station to solar. And in order to do that, we need to raise... In the vicinity, uh, initially we were thinking around twenty thousand dollars, but getting the consultant out, they said, you know, for just a little bit more, you could actually really knock this this whole electricity thing on the head pretty severely. And um, we said, okay, so we're, we're actually looking at just a, just a, a little bit more, probably in the thirties. And we launched it on Saturday, and I, I can announce that as a result of launching our future fund appeal with some tremendous support from uh, three big donors, and the rest has come in from mums and dads. Uh, we have received, as a, as a sort of a, a foundational um, um, offering, I suppose, to this to the, the Future Fund Appeal, $29,000. Now, if we've got the canned applause ready to go to air, Cameron, there it is. There's our recorded live audience <laughs> applause. I probably should have joined in then, Cameron. <laughs> yes. Didn't think to clap. Yeah, there you go. There you are. So look, and that is just tremendous. So I, I want to say thank you so much to our listeners and supporters who gave and uh, helped us to kick this off so well. Yeah. And it will make just such a huge difference to us that in the coming months we'll, we will be halving 
our power bill uh, by vir- by virtue of going solar, and that will mean that we're that we're you know just better stewards of of our resources, better stewards of of the money that we've been entrusted with to complete our mission. So you know, here I am today talking about the how, and I want I want our listeners to know this is not for me. This is not just some cute little theory that we're talking about. This is something that we live here at YFM. We aren't sort of just hoping it happens. We aren't wishful thinking about this. We are really walking the talk and we, we want to walk the talk better. And I'm not saying that, you know, we, we've got it all down as far as what the how looks like, but I, I do think we need to, to understand whatever field you would like to be successful in, that if you understand how you have a far greater chance of being successful. Now, here's one of the myths about success, Cameron. It's the idea that if you're successful in one field, that's the only field you can be successful in. And I I just think that's a cruel myth. And, And my reasoning for thinking that's a cruel myth is this. I see people who are successful in business, and yet in their marriage, they struggle. I see people who are successful in business and their marriage, but in their family with their kids, they struggle. They really struggle. I see people who are successful in marriage and family go into business and really struggle. And some people can conclude, well, maybe you just can't have too much success. And I think if we if we do answer the what and the why, we need to answer the how. And if we answer all of those questions we're actually positioning ourselves far better to succeed in, in each of those areas. I think it is possible to have a good, happy, strong marriage. I, I've, I've been married to Kim now nearly 26 years, and I am more in love with Kim now than I have ever been. I am more impressed with her than I've ever been. I honestly think she she is growing in beauty, and and this is for me. This is normal. This is what marriage is is like. And I'm not just putting it on. I'm not just saying it because well, this would be a nice thing to say at this point. I, I believe it. I really believe it. I, I am the father of four children. I am so proud of each of my children. My I, I love my kids. Um, we we are affectionate toward each other. And I think I've got four of the greatest kids on the planet. And here's the the thing. When we talk about marriage and family, for someone to say, well, you're lucky. Can I say, if you say that to me, you're actually insulting me. If you say, well, you're just lucky, you're you're actually saying it's got... It's nothing you've done, Andrew. It's not because you've you've put in effort or, or work. It's the result of just sheer random luck. And I want to tell you that when you understand what, why, and especially how, you realize it's not luck. This is not luck. You, you, you actually discover something that helps you to set yourself up to have a greater chance of success. Now, I know that in life, there's going to be those, you know, those, those curveballs of life. There's going to be um, those times in life where sickness, illness, injury happen, and it's going to derail your 
you know your your plan of success i understand that so so please before anyone thinks that i think this is a very simple thing to do i don't in fact cameron i would say this to embrace a successful strategy which means you discover how it's actually going to take great emotional courage great emotional courage why is that um it's it's because when you implement a plan to succeed almost invariably it doesn't instantly grant you success it it will almost almost certainly look worse before it looks better don't know if you've ever experienced that cameron have you yes have you let, let, let's get a little bit personal now yeah, and the listeners go. can just listen in cameron i know that you have been battling to to lose weight yes. when you when you've got serious about that um has it got better initially yes it has yes okay and how's it going now not so good okay so when things don't go so good most people will tend to abandon the plan correct yes and oftentimes when people start off i remember um i was determined to lose a bit of weight i went for a walk around the block came home weighed myself on the scales i put on weight and i said to kim see that doesn't work <laughs> stupid exercise <laughs> doesn't work and and of course that's not how you don't need to lose weight uh, mate you're in great shape that's not how a plan works cameron no i know a plan doesn't work by you know trying it for five minutes and this is why it takes courage now i think most people know that i'm a tennis player my my life was uh, sort of going in the direction of professional tennis that's where i thought i was going to end up being um i I, i'd put it this way that god kind of had other ideas for my life and here i am today but i still take a great interest in tennis and I think of players like Ivan Lendl. You know, Ivan Lendl was someone who um, could not hit a top spin backhand, Cameron. Now, I don't know that it, you know what a top spin backhand is, but I, Ivan Lendl could only hit a sliced backhand. And as a result, he never won a major tournament, one of the four majors. He. he just could not break through he couldn't break through so he was he was told i believe by tony roach you you need in this modern era you need to be able to hit a top spin backhand so the um the top spin backhand he was shown how to hit it couldn't quite get it and he he goes to his first tournament with his new backhand cameron and he can't do it. He can't do it. But he's committed that every backhand he was going to hit in that match was going to be a topspin backhand. Balls went everywhere. Okay. And the number one, to, number one, number two player in the world, Ivan Lendl, got beaten by a far lesser player. Ivan Lendl says that he came off the court, went in the locker room and cried. He cried. The next match, he had a decision to make. Do I do that again? He's being bundled out in the first round of a tournament that he was expected to win easily because he's trying something different. 
He goes to the next tournament. He plays with his topspin backhand. Balls are getting framed. Balls are being sprayed all over the place. He gets beaten by a much lesser player. Cameron, this goes on for nine months. And Ivan Lendl is getting smashed off the court, humiliated, and people are asking some pretty serious questions. Until one day, and I believe it was the French Open, I'm not sure, someone might want to correct me on that, Ivan Lendl turns up at the French Open and... Lo and behold, after nine months, something went click. Now, of course, it didn't just go click. It took nine months to go click. Yeah. Can you imagine the emotional courage it takes to do something that you know is right, but it's not working? Mm. And Ivan Linder went through nine months of humiliation, nine months of agony, and just personal turmoil, walks onto the court at Roland Garros, Hits his first backhand, and everyone in the locker room knew if you want to beat Ivan, just hit it to his backhand. So they hit to his backhand, and then crack. Out comes one of the most gorgeous, classical topspin backhands the world has ever seen. And to this day, it's gone down in history as one of the best topspin backhands that has ever been produced on a tennis court. Ivan Lendl, who'd never won a major, went on to win, I think, five or six mm. majors from that point. In other words, Ivan Lendl figured out the what. What am I trying to do here? Well, I'm trying to win majors. Why am I trying to do it? Well, he had his reasons. And now he figured out the how. The how meant he had to be able to hit a topspin backhand drive. <laughs> After nine months yeah. of emotional turmoil... He figured it out. It actually came to him. That nine months of agony would have taken tremendous courage. And this is the thing. You've, sometimes you've got to stick to your guns when you know something's right. And even though you know it's right, you may be failing at it. You may be being criticised. You may be ridiculed. You may be scandalised. And yet, if you, it, this is why I say it, it takes courage. It takes courage to do what's right. Because when you discover the how, and that's what we're talking about, discovering how, you may discover that it's not just the how you've got to worry about. It's the ability to have the emotional strength to carry it out. Now, I tell you now, there are parents who discover that if they want to raise happy, well-adjusted, compliant children, the how, I'll tell you right now, the how must include the word consistent. Mm, mm, consistent mm, absolutely so if it's wrong today it's wrong tomorrow if you said if you do that one more time you will pay the price and your child does it one more time you, you, balls in your court you parents the price, yep. you, you, you either right now you, if you throw your hands in the air and go oh, this is just too hard you're not paying the emotional courage price and it doesn't matter if you know the how if you're not prepared to have the emotional courage to carry it out then you won't succeed. Mm. Uh, we see Steve Jobs when he set up Apple. He had a, a clear vision of what he wanted in a computer, and he had a clear vision of how he was trying to do it. And Apple went public. The shareholders, the, the number crunchers, said to him, no, nah, can't do it. And they kicked him out of his own company. Mm. And yeah. Apple went to the wall financially. It nearly went bankrupt. 
And then one day in desperation, the then CEO paid a visit to Steve Jobs, something like, you know, 10 years later, and said, please come back to the company. He came back to the company, and within two years, Apple was the most successful company on the planet. Yeah. There is something about knowing what we're trying to do, where we want to go, why we're, trying, why we're doing it, but how we're going to get it done. But then with the how comes courage. You've got to have courage. And I would suggest to people, let's go to song, we'll come back, and I want to give a few tips on what this might look like. To discover how is only the first step. You've got to have the courage to be able to implement the how, Cameron. Let's come back after this song. I've got some things to say about this as we close. That's all good. Excellent stuff. Dr. Andrew Corbett there with the regular Wednesday morning discussion. We'll wrap it up very shortly. That's personally my favourite of his, Guy Sebastian there. We're taller, stronger, better on Launceston's YFM. It's now 9.25 and uh, we're uh, on the home stretch today with Dr. Andrew Corbett on his uh, regular Wednesday morning discussion message, Discovering How. Cameron, I, I want to speak to um, our Christian audience for a moment because this is, a, this is one of those topics that I know... I'm going to get people that kind of roll their eyes at and go, there's that Andrew, or, you know, he's on about, you know, what we can do when doesn't he know God does it all and it's all up to God and there's nothing we can do. And, and, you, and you hear people who say things like that that sound like this. Well, all we can do is pray about it. Cameron, I've got to say, rarely is it true that all we can do is pray about it. Think for a minute. If you want your child to learn the alphabet, do you just pray that they'll learn the alphabet? No. Is that all you do? No. Of course not. You want certain things to happen in society. Do you just, do you just, is it all you do that you pray that those things will happen in society? You, you want to feed your family. Is it all you do that you just pray? And, and can I say, when I, often I hear that, I think, now there's someone who doesn't understand the how principle. They don't understand the how. Now, I, I want to give some people some advice. I've set this up by saying how is the critical factor. How is often the, the thing that will determine whether someone is successful or not successful. They discover how. That's the beginning. The, the next part of that is that they, they, they have the courage, the emotional courage to do the right thing the emotional courage to implement the how how do you discover the how here's a, here's a couple of tips Cameron talk to someone who has ask them tell me how you do this tell me your advice for how I can do this read books about people who have discovered how and now oftentimes there will be people who think they are telling you the how and often you've got to listen with a different set of ears to really hear the how. What is the the how? And sometimes the how is just hang in there. Just keep doing the right thing. The, the, the how happens when you do the right thing long enough. For some people, we live in a world where if we don't get that that you know that hamburger in the drive-through in 90 seconds that's it i'm going to hungry jacks or whatever i'm i'm out of here and and life just doesn't work like that for for some people they may go through a bad patch when in fact 
They're doing the right thing. So the how requires emotional courage. Talk to people who've done it and ask them, how'd you do it? How can I do it? Find material, books. There's plenty of books that will help you to discover the how to do things. Take courses if you have to. They're not always going to have a certificate at the end of it, but they'll put something into your head and your mind how to do something. Cameron, it's the how factor that takes humility. It takes humility to be able to say to someone, look, you sell stuff. I'm trying to sell stuff. I'm, but that's the difference. You sell stuff and I'm trying to sell stuff. Trying is not the same as doing. Tell me how you do that. And, they, and I, most of the people who know how to do stuff love telling people how they do it. They love it. They love it when someone comes to them and says, how are you doing this? How did you do that? You might be able to use a piece of software. And if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I just saw you do How did you do that? How is a great word. It takes humility, another H word, takes humility to ask it. It takes courage to implement it. It takes a certain kind of tenacity to keep with it, but eventually it pays off. And it's the how factor that will determine whether you really attain the success you're looking for as a, as a married person, as a parent, as a business person, as a pastor, as the player in a sporting club, as somebody who's a part of an organisation. Cameron, we'll have this uploaded for people to listen to a bit later on our website at wayfm.org.au slash download. They can go there and find lots of other life coaching uh, MP3s as well for download as well. And before I go, in Tasmania is facing an election in 10 days. Uh, 10 days? 9 days. Yes. And just in, in our system, it just I think it behooves me to say that in Tasmania we have... Uh, I think we have a pretty good electoral system. It's called the Hare-Clark system, but it is a tricky one. It's not like everywhere else in Australia generally. The Hare-Clark system, in, in our electorates here in Tasmania, in the lower house, the House of Assembly, it requires that you number at least five boxes, one to five. So one, two, three, four, five. In, for example, the seat of Bass, where this station is located, there are 20 candidates running and we also have the highest rate of informal votes I think in Australia and that's because some people think all you have to do is put one next to a name and if you do that your vote doesn't count you have not voted if you do that so please don't do that make your vote count vote at least one to five in the in the boxes, uh, twenty two candidates. You, you got one to five, and Cameron, uh, I know you're going to have some time off next I week. I am. Yes, enjoy it. Thank you very um, much. I'm not quite sure what we'll do next Wednesday. We'll figure something out. Yep. But until then, have a great break, and I'll see you thanks, when you get mate. back from your holidays. Good on you. Thanks, Andrew. That's Dr. Andrew Corbett, of course, joining us for the regular Wednesday morning discussion, uh, talking about discovering how and giving us some tips on uh, on the voting when the election comes around. It's 9.32, Launceston's YFM. Where's Shannon Noll next?